This is Wayne Kramer. I'm here with Dave and Shane talking to Rock. Thank you all. Oh, that mighty, mighty roar of that beautiful American flag, red, white, and blue Stratocaster, at least looks like a Stratocaster, fires like a Stratocaster, Wayne Kramer, MC5. That was the band back in Philadelphia at uh, one of very few shows on a, on a tour, the heavy lifting tour. Um, Wayne Kramer, you heard right there saying, kick up the jams, mother, you know what, and brother Shane, we are missing yeah. brother Wayne. from pancreatic cancer, it was reported um, this Friday and just just a heavy loss, man. He was, you know, when we talked to him, although it was a year and a half ago, um, he was in such good spirits. He was, uh, he looked healthy, you know, he looked good. He, he seemed upbeat, um, didn't appear to be tired or anything like that. He just, um, he was so excited to talk about rock and roll, you know, and um, for this to happen, um, yeah, you got to go to that show. I did not do some uh, stuff going on, but um, I'm you 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 got to capture that you you know you got to catch that power of of what he was like live. That thunder, sonic thunder of Wayne Kramer, man. And I mean, um, walk us through that, man. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, we talked to Wayne back in. Uh, uh, the early part of 22, they had uh, the first music in more than 50 years coming out. First um, music of uh, MC5 nature, really Wayne Kramer and some guest stars uh, that were on it. I know Tom Morello, uh, right? Stephen Perkins, I believe. Yep, from Jane's uh, Addiction. That. Yeah, yeah, from Jane's Addiction. We actually found out that album was pushed back because we did kind of wonder what happened to it. We heard the title track and there's another track that was released on it. Um, but now we understand that that'll be coming out. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. It's set for a spring uh, 2024 release. But, yeah. um, you know, we talked to uh, Brother Wayne on this show. And uh, then, you know, we we got to get that show in Philly was one of um, just a few clubs, intimate shows that they were playing. And uh, it was really a it was a great show. It was fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that always caught me that he said in the interview when we talked with him was that he said, Rock and roll is not music's not one of those things that has an a, a aging out date like sports, you know, your 20s, yeah. your 30s. And then, you're you know, here's a guy who was at that point, I guess, 73. 
and he was wailing that guitar spinning around and just living it you know and to see this legend this detroit legend you know motor city five founded in 1963 lincoln park recording kick up the jams that legendary song at the grandy ballroom on grand river in detroit and i mean i i talked to two people who saw who say that they can find themselves in the black and white footage of uh, when they were playing that song which is insane oh, you know wow. and um it's just uh but yeah i mean you 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 never think that you know you know at some point we're all gonna leave this earth but that news broke on friday night and it just took all of us down you know and yeah we to go back to our our interview we shared and man we got brother shane i mean you know your thoughts on that i mean we got into their political activism his love of free jazz talk you know talk to me my brother what stands out to you uh what stands out to me was how much of an activist he was in the interview right up right up until the very end um it took a, a bit of a political turn um he's very passionate about his beliefs and um he's not going to hold back he doesn't pull any punches man he, he just uh had a lot to say and he said it and that's no surprise because of who he is. And uh, if you read his book, if you know anything about who he is and what the band was about, because they were all White Panthers uh, under uh, a visionary leader named John Sinclair out of yep. Detroit. And um, they wanted to bring attention to racism. They wanted to bring attention to um, the insecurities of the times. And there were a lot of them then, you know, uh, women's rights, civil rights, voting rights, you name it. And and um, that's that's how that band got together and, and stayed together. And, you know, they released three albums. Um, of course, the famous one, you know, the, the initial MC5 record, uh, Kick Out the Jams, uh, and then they did Black Back in the USA with Bruce Springsteen's uh, producer, John Landau. Yeah. Um, and 1970, and in 1971, they released High Time. And uh, that one, Wayne wrote a large chunk of it, Wayne and Dennis, Machine Gun Thompson, because um, the band was kind of imploding at that point. And uh, the second album, uh, Back in the USA, kind of got um, panned a bit. And the response to it wasn't as good and it wasn't nearly as hard as their first record, which uh, everyone really, I guess, kind of wanted that second record to be like the first record. But live, they were still crazed. Yeah. You know, they would do blues covers, old R&B covers. They would do um, <clears throat> Black to Calm, the, the song that they closed a lot of shows with, which was like an 11 minute fuzz uh, jam session, uh, which is, if you ever heard it, a good version of it, it's out of this world. And I can think of four or five bands right off the top of my head that formed off that one song alone, you know, yeah. but, um, the, the thing that, um, uh, you know, he kept the tour, he kept that torch of MC five alight, you know, a lot of everyone else was pretty much with the exception of Dennis. Thompson had passed. You know, Rob yeah. Tyner, Fred Sonic Smith, and Michael Davis. And um, he pushed and pushed and kept that legacy alive. And we're so blessed to have another release from Wayne Kramer's MC5 coming up in a couple months. Um, bittersweet. 
because it would be it would have been really nice to to talk to him and see you know what you know how excited he was he was going to be about this because he was already excited when we when we talked to him and and yeah. fired up about the tour and yeah I, I yeah it's I don't cry too often Dave about musicians but this one hit me you know on the way home and I just thought about you know uh that little that little bit of connection that we got with him and um, how much it meant to me because he I, I remember as a kid putting on uh super hits of the 70s record it was a three or four lp set from warner brothers from all their stable of artists everything from james taylor to the eagles to mc5 and one of the first songs on one of the records was kick out the jams and i was a little little kid i mean i was real little i got it at a yard sale and i just remember that song leading off one of the one of the lps and it was a censored version it was kick out the jams brothers and sisters <laughs> yeah right it's well, not the um, same but still, that riff, yeah. <laughs> that riff was like um even as a kid i was like whoa you know yeah. like it just went right through me and um I could go on and on just about the riff of that one song alone, but there's so many more songs yeah. and um, they, they will hopefully um, we'll have some archivists really dig into this band now and, and really start pulling out um, some of the rarities and other stuff that's still in the vaults, you know, that we talked about because there's recordings that still haven't surfaced in good, in good quality. There's, there's all kinds of stuff with this band from a historical perspective that I think a lot of people would like to see um, come out. And then my last thing, just cause I'm rambling here, but please no, no, my brother, it's, this is, Ross, I love it. Ross, the boss uh, said in a tweet in the last 24 hours, he said, no MC five, no dictators period. Wow. I think that sums it up. Oh yeah. And without the dictators, there wouldn't have been so many other bands you know yeah. so it's like yeah. <laughs> you see the chain you see the 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 connect how it's all connected you know it's yeah, a beautiful it's, chain too because the most it, of this music is yeah. stuff that you and i love you know oh we God. can go down the list guns and roses rage against the machine alice in mm -hmm. chains ted nugent yeah um uh, mitch Ryder, also, detroit wheels yeah the, the whole detroit scene that whole all those everyone guys, you know? loved what yeah. this brand brought to the table and um danny from electro uh the th most interesting thing i always thought was that mc5 and wayne talked about this a bit they wouldn't sign they wouldn't sign with electro records until uh, unless electro brought the stooges on board with them so they both signed on the same day mm. i mean talk that's about insane. city pride talk about yeah. brotherly love right there you know that's uh, <laughs> It chokes you up almost, man, because, I mean, you know, they were looking out for each other. Yeah, there'd be no Iggy, Iggy Pop without MC5. Nah. I mean, not at the, not, not at that level, you know? I mean... So not only did this band kick the door down, uh, they brought another band that also brought that sonic assault and changed rock and roll forever. And yeah. MC5 got a $15,000 bonus from Elektra Records, and the Stooges got $5,000. The rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> I would say the Stooges are probably more more uh, popular. Yeah, uh, but 
the MC5, dude, they're untouchable, man. I, yeah. 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 I, I think, no, it's so well said, uh, brother Shane. And I, and I think, um, you know, what's interesting to this day is like anybody who's part of, um, you know, a political activist slash rock music slash take it to the streets mantra or origin knows like they they somehow eventually come into in touch with the legend of mc5 and then there's just people who aren't even necessarily political but they just like that driving heavy big bashing drums loud crunchy guitar thing you know and but there's something so legend legendary about them you know i, I want to say urban legend but not in, in the way we we think of that phrase like you know any big city sort of just you know maybe counterculture is another term i, I don't know like you know what i mean right like just that, yeah. that sort of um just deep down dirty um aggressive take it to the streets attitude and and you know if you're not political then just great rock and roll you know but they're one of those bands that people know of even though they're not from detroit they're in the ether out there you know and um i mean kick up the jams is just one of those those songs that (laughs) throughout the generation certainly in the 60s i mean everybody was just like kick out the jams you know can mean a lot of different things just kick them out you know um and uh it's just one of those for for that song to be on that compilation that you talked about with all of those other major label bands and then there it is you know what i mean that that kind of says it all and that was back then right yeah most of the acts were pretty vanilla on there there was paranoid from black sabbath was right after or on another side but it was black sabbath paranoid which introduced me to black sabbath and mc5 kick out the jam so i had a lot of work cut out for me at that point yeah as like as like a 10 or 11 year old because i but i just kept going back to that song and i i played the grooves out on that because you couldn't mm. you couldn't find the record, Dave. It was hard. It was not an easy record to find mm. in in the late seventies, early eighties, at least. Um, because major labels were 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 pretty much um, you know shucking out a lot of you know Almond Brothers, Kiss, stuff like that. The stuff that was popular got made. The stuff that wasn't as popular, they didn't really do a whole lot of represses. Um, unless it sold so it had to sell in order for it to to um to get to get a, a repress and it sold but it was it was an underground thing you know you don't see too many used copies of kick out the jams floating by you don't see too many copies of the stooges stuff floating by you do see them but that's why they're extremely expensive now but yeah. um they they um <clears throat> I'm. I just always feel blessed because I never would have heard of heard them had I not heard that track on there, and I was yeah. drawn in, you know. And I could never find it. It wasn't until mid '80s I ended up finding the record, and I bought it as soon as I saw it. Mm. I got an '80s press. They finally pressed repressed it in the '80s, but um, yeah, it was it was um for the stuff that I was already listening to at that point, Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, all that other stuff, um. I kind of realized that that's where this stuff came from. Yeah. That's, that's where this stuff, that was the seed that planted this stuff. And then it all made sense. But how, how that came out in 1968 to this day, Dave still blows my mind. That song. Right. Yeah. I would have, I would have given anything to go in a time machine and go back to see that band in Detroit at that time. 
Oh my God, same here. And the Stooges open up for him every night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did a show, um, and Wayne Kramer's part of it. It's uh, and and we'll reshare it again. It's um, just talking about Detroit. You know, we have such a love affair with those early days, 60s, 70s, uh, more so 70s, maybe New York, right? That LA yeah. scenes, you know. And we, we did a whole show. Uh, we had like Dennis uh, Dunaway from uh, Alice Cooper Group, you know, our Ted Nugent interview, and so many others. And, and it was such a great thing to have Wayne Kramer on that show because I always wanted to talk Detroit with him and, and wouldn't want to do that with anyone other uh, anyone else other than you and you had some amazing questions and we just it was it was like a bonding experience you know it was like like you said the other day it was like learning the story of rock from your dad or something you know yeah. and uh yeah. and so like just but but that how iconic they were and how seminal they were to Detroit rock. I mean, there's always that list of like when people talk about the the list of greatest guitar players, they always say Eddie Van Halen, Eric Clapton, or Jimi Hendrix. You know, like any great something, there's always that list. You know, your great, your favorite, the top progressive bands. They'll say, okay, well, Queensrÿche, Fate's Warning, Dream. You know what I mean? Like progressive metal, rather. So there's always those lists, and 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 when you have a list, there's always those principal members on it. And when it when people ask about Detroit rock. You, you always say MC5 is in that list only with Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels and the Amboy Dukes. And, and um, you know, there's others on there too. Obviously, Alice Cooper, you know, Stooges, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, you know. And so, like, it's to to be somewhat connected to that in that interview was like, was surreal, which we're going to play for you, you know, on yeah. this tribute show, you know. It's such a special thing to get to talk to these guys. Yeah. And, and, and at the time, you... I don't, I didn't take this one for granted, but sometimes you don't realize like, um, that that's going to be it. That's what, that's what you got, you know, yeah. that connection, that moment that you had with that person. And I, I go back to a lot of what Tom Morello said, um, cause he pretty much hit the nail on the head. Uh, so he's a way in the body, a combination of wisdom and compassion. It was beyond inspiring. Rest in, in peace, my dear brother. And um, Tom was a big um, <clears throat> uh, sponsor and, and helped out with, with Wayne's um, jail guitar doors, which was started by Billy Bragg in the UK mm. to, um, to give prisoners who, um, you know, life, life, lifetime prisoners, prisoners with long sentences, uh, give them an opportunity to at least be human and play instruments. Mm. So um, Wayne, that was something because Wayne did time. He got in trouble with drugs and and got arrested in the mid seventies. And Wayne brought a version of that over to the U S and started the U S version of jail guitar doors. And um, he was such a pioneer in so many ways. And, um, I, all all the guys that that we love came out of the woodwork because they know their 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 form of music their style of music probably wouldn't exist right without without Mr. Kramer you know no. and um, that's what makes him so great is that he uh, there was there was rock and roll and then there was the MC5 is the way I kind of look at it yeah I'm sure Ozzy would agree I'm <laughs> you know those yeah. guys. There was not anything that hard up until that point. Right. And, and I mean, know, that early, like the, the 60s, I mean, that early and that hard is like, 
was unheard of. And then sure there were bands like Death and stuff in Detroit that, that may have fueled the fire. Um, I'm sure that knowing Detroit bands that they were all tight. Yep. Um, but Death came along, I think, a tiny bit later. And but I mean Vernon Reed, dude, that one that one was really impressive because Vernon calls him out on everything. He says he, you know, his he was an author, human rights activist, anti-violence advocate, guitar badass, and major dude. Uh, he always looked forward um, to playing with them, and they can't wait to play Kicking Out the Jams uh, in tribute, Living Color, uh, tonight in Charlestown, West Virginia. That was on the second. That was the night that Wayne died. What a tribute. So, I mean, Alice Cooper, I mean... Yeah, I, I can go on and on. So well, go for <laughs> Just, it. Please do. No, we'd love to hear these tributes. I mean, I think now that we've had a couple of days to round up these tributes. Yeah. Let's hit him with it, man. Well, when we talked to Dennis, did he specifically talk about Wayne? Do we ask him about Wayne? MC5? Yeah. 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 Cause they, these guys have known each other since 1968. And mm-hmm. Alice says, says that very thing. And, and they've worked together often. And as late as last year, they worked together. Uh, Wayne, played with Alice on some of his more recent records, at least, or did parts for them. Um, he had a big life, and I always respected how passionate he was about his charity, Joe Guitar Doors, which helped give prisoners access to music, guitars, and often hope <clears throat> for their future. Uh, Bob Ezrin and I considered Wayne to be one of our favorite people, and we will miss collaborating with him tremendously. Alice Cooper. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Sort of hits so me we, again. You start yeah, seeing all this stuff. I know. Yeah. Me too, man. It's like, you know, I know you're never going to hear that fiery guitar again live. It's it, it's too much. It's like, um, I mean, I'm kind of happy that this release was pushed back a little bit. Uh, heavy lifting. I mean, Louder Sound had an article from last month, well, December of 2023. MC5 guitarist Wayne Kramer preparing for a new Bob Ezrin produced um, album from the band spring 2024 release. I don't think there's an exact date, but heavy lifting, which we got to hear the first, uh, first couple cuts of two years ago. Uh, first new album with um, since the 71 MC5 album, high time features slash Tom Morello, living colors, Vernon Reed, who you mentioned Alice and Chains frontman, William Duvall and more. Um, and I love this quote uh, Kramer told Mojo magazine. Some bands need a little time between records. I need a lot of time between records. <laughs> and um, it, it, uh, the new singer is Brad Brooks. He's on it. And and Dennis is on this. Uh, the original drummer. Um, uh, it features uh, Dennis Thompson on two songs yep. to capture the spirit of the band. So that's really cool. You know, he was, but... he was really excited about that. He was talking about that, you know, get, getting to see them you know in the same room doing it again and that's uh, you know there was some a little bit of whispering you know like it's not really mc5 because rob's dead and fred sonic smith's dead and blah 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 blah. but you know honestly um i always saw wayne as the sonic part of that band you know along with fred but you know if you ever look at band pictures of them in the late sixties to the mid seventies, who's in the middle? It's always, always Wayne. Wayne. Yeah. It's not Rob. It was right, Robbie right. down in front or off to the side. It wasn't Fred. Wayne was always in the middle. And yeah. um we're making a very 
crazy ass face somewhere in the in the picture <laughs> in the center. But um, so you kind of got the idea that he was the center, he was the focal point for that band. I'm sure he would deny that. Uh, all of the early MC5 records did not have Wayne as the composer for stuff. Everything was MC5, MC5, MC5. Yeah, that started to change around the. Uh, second and third albums and you'd see more and more stuff um, like some of the songs like Poison and stuff like that um, some of the harder rock and tunes were Wayne so that might have been you know he talks about it in his book a bit just about the band um, going in two different directions and producers at the time nobody knew how to deal with them yeah <laughs> They were two, they were 10 years ahead of their time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so nobody really knew how to do or produce like what, what these guys were trying to do. They didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it, it's, it, and, um, you know, just trailblazing and that's just being ahead of your time like that, you know, it's just so wild. And, uh, you know, we, when we talked to, um, Mike skill, uh, Friday night, um, fellow Detroit rockers, the romantics, uh, Mike, uh, skill bones, they call him, uh, uh, you know, we talked to him as part of our Detroit show and and plus when he had an album coming out and he talked about just those early days and how they set the standard. You know, you want to we could play some of that sound. What do you say we uh, kick over to that real quick? Absolutely, Dave. How you doing? I'm OK. Sad. Yeah, man. I yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, Brother Shane says hi, man, uh, you know, for the podcast. We got to have you. Mm -hmm. We've been wanting to have you back on for good stuff, you know. And yep. Then we get this this sad uh, thing, and um, I want to ask you just a couple of quick questions. Um, you know, number one, I mean, I know you just heard. What are you feeling with the loss of Brother Wayne Kramer here? Well, I want to first give uh, condolences to uh, Margaret and his son uh, Francis and his and the family. Uh, condolences to them and uh, our love and. Um, all good things to them. It's a, it can be a really tough time, you know, and, uh, you know, we're, it's a huge loss. It's like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing on the internet and, uh, you know, it goes from there and you're, you're down, down from there. And, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk about brother Wayne. I know you guys did the song 67 riot, but you guys go way back as Detroit rock icons. Talk about what brother Wayne meant to Detroit, that legacy growing up, and everything yeah well the mc5 uh you know they were just like the premier band at the time uh uh you know a lot of free concerts on the east side and uh i mean around detroit and in ann arbor uh one of the first songs i heard was uh i can only give you everything it was a uh it was a um uh, a small 45 uh just and i heard that in like when i was just learning guitar uh uh, 1965 or 66 and from then on they were like the talk of the town you could it was just a, through bands and through musicians and and we were way on the east side they were way on the, uh, in Livonia and out that area but uh yeah it's a huge loss and uh they were uh even uh just the shows just Wayne was like uh he was almost like a James Brown on guitar doing the spins and down on the knees and same with Fred Fred, Fred and him were tandem but uh um to lose uh, Wayne, it's a, you know, it's, it hits my heart because uh, he worked with me on uh, 67 Riot, the song I came out, Detroit song. And um, 
about the Detroit riots. And uh, that was that's around the same time I was le learning about the MC5. And uh, they were really political, act activated, act active and motivated. And uh, for all the right causes in my book, um, when we were growing up and now still. Um, uh, and it was great to see them and, and connect uh, to work on uh, 67 Riot. I just thought it was like beyond my thoughts that that would ever happen. I, it's just kind of like um, spontaneous. I'm in the studio with uh, Chuck Caucasian out of uh, uh, Pearl Sound. And uh, I go, you know, I always thought of putting uh, Wayne Kramer on the song. And he goes, call him. And I just, I was too uh, shy, or not shy, but uh, just whoa, reluctant to bother him. And, uh, you know. But his playing and uh, Wayne and uh, Fred, they were a tandem, like an, like an Almond Brothers before the Almond Brothers, where their guitar parts would augment each other. One would do the higher part and lower part, and they'd be uh, melded into one thing. And their energy, just the energy of the group. Uh, but as, as something that I carry still today, when I write songs today, I still hear uh, that feel that I hear that thing in me uh, from the whole era and, and it bring it right up through um till now and when i'm writing i'll come up with stuff so it's still active you know yeah man you any, send, any new songs you got send them out to him so you know who knows what could have uh developed but that's you know he get, he came in on the 67 riot uh i i called him up uh wayne said uh uh chuck said call him and i called him the next day and uh and uh I told him, Wayne, I got the song. I'd like you to check out. And he, he told me to send it. And I sent it out. He goes, Mike, this is a great song. I'd love to play on it. I go, just do what you do and take off and uh, send it back. And we got it back. And it was so spot on and uh, just blew our minds that uh, we didn't touch it. We didn't turn it down. We didn't do anything to it. We didn't cut it or anything. We just slapped it right on, the, on there and left it and put it that way on the record. But uh, that was 67 Riot. And uh, it's a huge loss. It's a huge loss for the community and, and rock and roll guitar players and uh, rock community in in the big picture. Yeah, I, it's just shocking. It really is. I mean, we follow his updates on Instagram. You know, you see that beautiful Stratocaster, the red, white, and blue, and that's what we know. saw. Yeah, Charter Charter Field. I was like, I could still find myself in the crowd in the in the the black and white video. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it really is. But, uh, yeah, it's a huge loss, and um, just uh, condolences to Margaret and his son, and yeah. and it's a huge loss for the city of Detroit. Um, maybe we can uh, do something and uh, represent MC5 and Wynn Kramer and all those guys uh, somehow. Yeah, it's like he always said, we are all MC5, you know, and whew. it was intense uh, live back when you're 17, 16 years old, seeing them live. It was it was an intense thing. Yeah. It was uh, really something. Yeah. He still had that. I mean, I, I played with him. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and uh, he came out and I did Sister Ann with him uh, on stage when he was with uh, MC50. But um, yeah. yeah, he was a great guy. And uh, he just, uh, he told, uh, he talked about the early days of uh, when he saw Romantics and uh, and he saw, you could tell, he goes, he knew that we were the guys that were going to carry on next just by the look and the sound and the energy and uh that felt really good to hear that from him. You know, it's crazy, you know, hearing that from someone you you you're, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to just uh Yeah. Bathing in the aura of uh Wayne Kramer and the you know, the whole era, you know, right there. You know, you Detroit royalty. Yeah, man. Yep. Yep. Wow. Oh, yeah, it's it's, nice. Mike, 
Thanks, man, for talking with us, especially short notice. I'm really sorry to talk to you under these terms. You know, we hope to talk in much better terms, but yeah, this is going to take some time to process for sure. My 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 family and I are feeling the feeling the grief and uh, yeah, it hurts you with everybody. So yeah, thanks for thanks for getting a hold of me. Hey, absolutely. Well, thanks. Uh, see you in Detroit soon. Yeah, man, absolutely. Take care, brother. All the best to you and yours and and everybody, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you then. Yeah, catching up with Mike Skill from Portland uh, nowadays, but a, a big Detroit guy, of course, uh, who played with um, uh, who uh, Wayne Kramer played on his song uh, "67 Riot," talking about the '67 riots, and but just amazing how you know, and and he would say, you know, Skill just said right there that the um, the MC5 were from the other side of town, you know, and they were already making waves, and it's a big area, you know, you get the east side. And the west side, not the city of Detroit, but the, it's, you know, Woodward Avenue really is kind of the separator of all of that from the the, mm -hmm. the western suburbs and the eastern suburbs, you know, and that's a big area. So for one side to hear about the other side uh, have, with this crazy band that's changing the game, it's it's pretty awesome, you know, <laughs> uh, and he, he just said it right there, you know, so just amazing. What was uh, I, I know you got to talk to him briefly, but, um, you know, what? what was his overall demeanor? You look like in the video that I saw uh, from your story ran on the news that night. Um, he just looked pretty deflated. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty deflated. It, it, he, you know, he said it, it definitely, he's definitely sad. It definitely hit him. He's thinking about uh, Margaret Wayne's um, wife and, and their son. Um, yeah. He, he just, I think he was def deflated, still kind of making, trying to make sense of it same way I was at night, you know, just kind of like, wow. You know, he said he just couldn't believe what he was seeing, you know, on the internet and, and everything. And, um, you know, you don't expect that. I mean, you, you know, even though, you know, I think all those guys are kind of, you know, at an age where, I mean, you know, we're losing so many of these people, you know, but if not in rock, just pop culture in general, you know, but, um, you know, the same day as, um, um, the great Carl, uh, Weathers, right? Yeah, Carl Weathers you know, passed away. Yeah, and the, same and day. Yeah, one of the the greatest um, reggae bassists of all time. The yeah, bassist, bassist for the Whalers, Bob Marley. That's right. Whalers. He also played bass for Lee Scratch Perry. Mm. Uh, he taught Flea. He taught. Um, oh, I forget that. There's a bunch of people that went on and said that they worked with him on improving their bass skills. He taught them little tricks that he knew, and Flea was one of them. Wow. Um, but Aston Barrett, Aston family man, Barrett, uh, family man, because he sired over 40 children with different women. Mm. Um, I always thought because he was a family man, <laughs> but he, <laughs> it's he, a he meaning was of a different kind of a family man. He <laughs> started a lot of families, started a lot of families yeah. <laughs> but Aston, um, dude, there's not a record that exists. Um, oh, Robbie Shakespeare's who he, he, um, who he trained as well from mm. Sly and Robbie, which are a major force in reggae production um, in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, but, but uh, Aston played, there's not a record that came out between the early seventies into the mid to late eighties that he did not play on. And he played on everything. Yeah. Every, like you, you name it, <laughs> Uroy, Dillinger, uh, Max Romeo, Lee Scratch Perry, 
that everyone he was the most requested instrument you know instrument player in the land down there just get asked and you know yeah and um tremendous loss i i think he had like 800 recordings he was involved with it's insane <laughs> it's just insane man just live talking about living life to the fullest yeah i mean that's like that's iconic i mean that's like steve luke at their you know nate nathan east kind of level you know i mean yeah. that's insane i'd like to hear what bill burr would have to say about asking yeah <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, the joke the jokes they kind of write themselves yeah, kinda, yeah here's an interesting one dave i didn't see this one i didn't know they played together um billy idol sent his condolences uh, they played some tracks together for a benefit <clears throat> um he was blown away uh finding out about his death uh billy uh -huh. duffy from the cult said brother wayne i was grateful for the time i got to spend with this great man i'm sure he's kicking out the jams in another dimension right now wayne kramer rest in peace they're like high-fiving holding hands and it looks like tom morello's in the, in the shot too yeah he's just uh yeah yeah it is tom uh, um just an icon dude i yeah. mean the good guys get it yeah they really do you know the bands but, in my opinion that matter get it yeah like just a cultural icon, you know, yeah. Detroit rock royalty, but just a, a real American pop culture, just an icon. I mean, especially in that era of, you know, the 60s, you know, the the political assassinations, the racial strife, the you know Vietnam, all that stuff, you know, fighting the establishment. Um, I mean, if there was a soundtrack to it, MC5 was on, is on that soundtrack, you know? Yeah. Well, the the. The humility factor is what really threw me. You know, when we talk to people, we don't know what we're going to get a lot of the time. Yeah. And coming into the interview, sometimes it can be um, uh, a little nerve wracking because you're like, you know, the persona that existed before. I'll use Mick Mars as an example. Mm -hmm. And then, and then what you get is something completely different and it kind of throws you a little, it takes a little while to adjust to it. Uh, for, as an inner from the interview or perspective, you know, um, because you're expecting something else and the humility of, of guys like Mick and especially Wayne um, kind of threw me initially because he was just so late, like, so calm. Yeah. So humble. Um, just sweet, sweet guy. You know, yeah. he was excited about the music. He was excited to talk about the music. Uh, he didn't um, correct us or anything like that. You know, he's just a class act. And, yeah. you know, I, I know that doing time does that to a man. I know that anything that you think that you are uh, gets changed when you go to prison. Mm. You know, you don't come out of prison the same way that you do when you go into prison. And yeah. um, he does mention that, you know, in his book which I hope gets a repress, but uh, yeah. Duff McKagan, another one, Dave. Um, my story with Wayne Kramer started one day in the 90s when we connected to do Mad for the Racket, which I always wanted to hear and never heard. Mm. Uh, that that was Duff with Clem Burke of Blondie, Brian James oh, wow. of The Damned, and Wayne Wayne himself. Uh, he, said I was, he said I was in punk rock heaven around this bunch. 
and Wayne led us through the whole record with grace and humor. He's been a leader to me and for me ever since. I said, I will miss you so much, Wayne. <clears throat> yeah. They don't come like that often. <laughs> no, they really don't. And it hit the legends, a legend hitting legends the way he did. It's like, wow. In terms of impact, you know. Yeah, I, there's so many Instagram posts, they won't all load. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the band that you saw open for um, MC5 in Philly, um, under, you saw them at Underground Arts, correct? Yeah, yeah, Underground Arts, yeah. yep. Um, was was Vixen sixty six? Yeah, it was. Um, and I got it. Yeah, and, and I know they were. I remember at the time they were just in awe of Wayne Kramer and what the MC Five were, and they were so grateful. They posted after the show how grateful they were, uh, for being on stage. You know, for being uh, as part of that. You know, uh, one of the, yeah, one of the girls um saw him before. 77, Vixen 77. Yeah. Vixen, I was 60. You're loving it to me to screw it up. <laughs> hey, uh, Rudy, um, do you like world music? <laughs> hey, um, what happened to your podcast? No. <laughs> it's an inside joke. Inside joke. <laughs> leave it to me, huh? Yeah. Vixen 66. There you go. <laughs> no, but she. It's she up world music, sorry. Are you able to read it on there? She had a, she has, uh, let a, me, she has a letter from Wayne. Uh, she she got, she got she got him to sign it. It was really second, cool, folks. I will call that up right now. Yeah, I just remember how, and they were great. They rocked too. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, I'm on their Instagram page. Do you remember? It was it. Uh, hang on. I'm trying to see. I don't see it on their Instagram. We can definitely share it on our Facebook page. Yeah, I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I don't have it. It's not coming up for some reason here. Okay. Well, um, in the meantime, I want to get uh, William Duvall, who of course replaced Lane Staley and Allison Chains, fantastic singer, uh, is singing on a lot of the this uh, Wayne Kramer's MC5 stuff, and um, <clears throat> he talked uh, at length on Twitter or on Instagram here about about Wayne. I'll just read a bit of it. He said, I've been struggling all evening for words about the passing of Wayne Kramer. He was a childhood idol of mine and became a friend. As rock and roll bands go, it just doesn't get any cooler than the MC5. Brother Wayne on lead guitar was a force of nature, on stage face-melting licks, and James Brown splits all in one staggering turbo-powered Detroit animal machine. Just swipe and you'll see. Gonzo attitude, zero compromise. He led an epic life from the MC5 to a stint in the federal, pe federal penitentiary to founding the organization Jail Guitar Doors. It's all in his autobiography, The Hard Stuff, book that he highly recommends. Uh, he was uh, he was enough lucky enough to front the MC5, the new version, on two occasions in London at the Royal Festival Hall in 2008 and the second time in 2011 in France, sharing a bill with the Stooges. Having been a kid who played MC5 records for hours on end, I stared at the sleeve photos wishing I could be anywhere in the same room as them. It was utterly surreal to find myself standing center stage surrounded by Dennis, Michael Davis, and, and Brother Wayne, and getting to scream, kick out the jams, mf -er, literally a dream come true. 
insane. Oh my God. Just so cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's just, there's too many pioneers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> taking a, taking a trip to the next concert, the afterlife. Yep. And that's just, yeah. um, that's, you know, we, again, I always hate talking about this, but it's one of the reasons why we do what we do. Yeah, it's the it's the bittersweet aspect of it, and you know, I I had a feeling. Yeah, I was trying to sorry, I was trying to pull up the Vixie. We'll post it on Facebook, the Vixens uh, seventy seven post, uh, the tribute. But for some reason, it wasn't coming up on my end here. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, you, no, the um, yeah, I mean, I think when David Crosby died, that's when we first felt it, right? You know, because he was the first. Well, there's a there were several legends. You know, we tried to get we were close i think to you know trying to get rick okasic but he he passed away right before that yeah um the drummer and eddie from, money yeah eddie money uh the, um, the drummer for quiet riot uh frankie benali you know um and you know these guys were i think ill at the time or some of them were ill at the time you know when we made the request just you know you never know but yeah when david crosby died it was a like two months and two days after we interviewed him that was surreal you know it was surreal talking yeah. to him and then it just, you know, it becomes something much more um, because it's one of the, it was one of his final interviews and you just never would have thought, I mean, all these years, you know, we follow these guys for decades and it's one thing to be able to talk to him. It's another one that's, you know, we're some among the final interviews they do, you know, and, and yeah, that's what you're right. That's why we do what we do. And, you know, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of sources to get, stories about great bands and artists but i think what we do is we try to get into stories that haven't really been covered a whole lot or stories that maybe they have a different take on as time yeah. evolves you know and that's what this is that's that's why we do this absolutely it's bittersweet because we're fans but you know it's it's hard and this this one's still taking time to process you know yeah try to get that um elaboration of stuff that we already know about but like hearing Dennis talk about the chicken, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and and elaborate on it, you know, and you'd have to listen to those shows to, to really know what I'm talking about. The Alice uh, Cooper one, right? Alice Cooper group yeah. was playing show, and yeah. um, chicken got tossed into the audience. Um, it's a famous story, but it's when you hear it from them, um, with their side of it or their viewpoint, you know, because they were on stage playing songs um <laughs> yeah. takes it to just another level yeah and it, it's uh it was uh, i couldn't leave my seat because i because <laughs> yeah. i know like when we asked it you know you kind of have to go in with some trepidation because you're like are they just going to give an, an eye roll and say hey just read the book you know right. it's or, out there or this has been covered so many times and right yeah, yeah. Um, we've been denied interviews from people before because like, what else do I have to talk about? I don't have anything else to talk to you about this person. Right. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not going to give names. I'd love to give names, Yeah. but we still want to talk to the person. So I'm not going to slam them. Right. But, um, mm -hmm. there's just shit like that that happens that, um, it can get frustrating, you know, cause you're trying to get them to open up and talk about stuff. And, um, that's, you know, I, I mean, and just again for the, talking about passing, passing on, um, passing away. Miles Goodwin, we were set up to do an interview with him. Yeah, and he never showed up. Mm -hmm. And then we were live. We, passed, we were on the feed. Yeah, we were on the feed waiting for him to show up. And um, 
we just heard there were some issues from his, his manager and um, he passed away within the year. Yeah. So um, cancer's a bitch, man. Uh, no. I didn't. I didn't detect it. I didn't feel like. Uh, but pancreatic cancer is something that you can live with for a while, but it always is fatal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's usually always fatal. You can't make yeah. it. It's one of those you just can't. You need your pancreas, and eventually it takes it takes it out. Yeah. And uh, that was what was announced. Um, you know how Wayne died, and the thing that got me, Dave, a lot. Maybe you can talk about this because you're a guitarist. I. I'm not, but, but he used to put up videos, you know, um, Uncle Wayne, you know, playing guitars and showing people licks and showing people his guitars and showing people um, what he was all about and getting that sound and getting that feel. And they mm. were really popular videos and you could see the joy yeah. in that man's face when he would do these, these videos. I mean, he was just elated. And, yeah. um, that's what that was the Wayne that we got, you know. Right. He loves yeah. he loved music. He loved to talk about it. Um, that's one of the things he did during the pandemic. Wish he I, I wish he would have kept doing them. I know um I kind of feel like after we talked to him in that summer, uh it kind of felt like he dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah. There weren't any there weren't any posts. There weren't many posts. Everything just kind of stopped. Yeah, get really quiet. And I think that's possibly, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing here, but that's when things got bad. Yeah. And his health started to decline. And maybe, because I know that tour was just a few shows. I think it was like, was it even a dozen? It might have been just like. A very small tour. Two. It was like five. I don't even think it was 10 shows. I think it was like five shows. Yeah. Um, that. That's what he did before too. Yeah. Like, I, oh, have okay. the fifth, yeah. I have the poster for the fiftieth thing mm. out there uh, that he did, and those there were he didn't do many shows. Oh, okay, yeah. He just did the markets that he wanted to um, play and or he considered to be his base. Yeah, and uh, Philly was always a different kind of town with music, and you know that he and those guys respected anything that came out of Philly. Oh yeah, hell yeah. So. Philly's yeah. a machine in and of its own right, you know. Yeah, they like that gritty, no bullshit, you know. Yep. Detroit and Philly are very similar in that respect, you know. Yeah. There's not a lot of games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's straight to the point, man. Straight up, yeah. Straight yeah. up. But um, another legend lost, David. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just I had a feeling I was. Not that necessarily there was going to be another passing, but that I I kind of thought deeply about why we do what we do, you know, and and how those bittersweet moments, which and then here we go, you know, with really the second one since we started doing this, you know, and it's like, man, how, you know, how did your day go about? Like, how did you find out? Um, I was like eyes deep in work. I didn't yeah. know anything. You 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 let me know. How did you kind of your day? about yeah. i mean you, you ended up covering this for for a news station in detroit yeah yeah for fox too i was uh i was working on i was like just really in the weeds on this uh uh just really deep in this this the kremlin trial but you know there's um the there's a historic 
work trial going on up here uh, with uh, a woman named Jennifer Crumley, who's the mother of the uh, the shooter at the uh, the Oxford High School uh, mass shooting there. Uh, Ethan Crumley is her son, and uh, he uh, shot and killed four students and, and injured several others. And she's the first parent. She's facing charges. Uh, prosecutors are alleging she missed a lot of signs, essentially, and had was too busy with other parts of her life uh, not to see the warning signs and could have intervened, you know. Um, and uh, so anyway, she's the first parent in America to be uh, standing trial for a mass shooting committed by her child. You know, and the child's already convicted. And the husband, the father of the kid will be face trial uh, coming up in March. Anyway, so I was working on that and uh, I wasn't in court for this, but like was going through hours of testimony, you know, like just hours and hours of court testimony, you know, how long court can be. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it drop. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of our, yeah, 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 yeah. And one of our producers, um, you know, dropped it into we use Slack, which is, you know, a kind of way to communicate, you know, stuff going on. And I said, oh, boy. And. I immediately called, texted you and I said, you know, I was talking to our, our uh, executive producer. She said, do you want to do something? So I, the 10 o'clock story on the Crumbly uh, court case, which is now going to trial. And then at 10, 10 o'clock and then at 1030, uh, it was the, uh, you know, we, we did the Kramer, the uh, Wayne Kramer story. And so I, thanks to you, because I, I didn't have, um, you know, of my backup systems that, you know, for where all of our interviews are, it was at home. I didn't have it with me. So Thank you had the interview and you shot it over to me, which was great. Thanks for that. And so we pulled a bite from that from Brother Wayne. And then and we'll get into that full interview in a minute here. Um, and then uh, we called up Mike Skill from the Romantics and just because I was looking for another Detroit rock connection to talk to about this. And he was good enough to talk with this too. And we'll play that sound. We just played that sound actually. So that's kind of how it all came together for 1030. And I, at first I thought we got to go to the Grandy Ballroom, you know, which is right on Grand River. I, I, it was such a long day and I was so kind of busted up. I said, I said, Grash it, which is a different street in Detroit. It's Grand River. <laughs> you know? Grand River. Yeah. Uh, which I knew uh, we did the special where we did the Detroit rock special. I went, I did a little live talk intro from there, you know, but anyway, yeah. um, the Grandy ballroom, you know, which Zeppelin played grateful dead pink Floyd, you know, everybody played there. And of course, you know, Alice Cooper and of course, MC five iconic venue, no longer there anymore. Um, I mean, it's the physically there, but it's kind of in ruins now. I think somebody's taken it over, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a building that's aged, you know, and it just felt very spiritual because there's a, a mural. It's been there for a few years of brother Wayne and that beautiful red, white, and blue strat, you know, and I just happened to snap a picture and put it up on my Facebook page. And now it just, it just felt very hollow, you know, or just yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it together now, but it, it felt very uh, the silence and looking at that building and that that built that mural was just like whew, it just I had to reflect from it because it was it just kind of hit me. It was pretty deep, you know. But that's yeah. kind of how it all unfolded that night, and and then uh, I put the audio version of the uh, our chat with um, uh, Mike Skill up online, and and um, you know just but just be kind of thinking just playing the music all weekend, you know. Yeah, which is really the best too. tribute, best tribute we can do, and and what we do, you know, is just play it loud and proud, man. You know, play it loud, play it proud. You know, were there there were people bringing flowers? Were there were there? Not yet. Yeah. I didn't. Not it's yet. probably. In fact, I might too early. Drive, yeah, too early because it it had just happened. We got out there to do our live report uh, around ten o'clock, and I think it. We found out about. I want to say we found out at like seven thirty, or I, it was online. I think for a few hours, but 
like I it hit our newsroom like uh, I think it, we started seeing stories pop up around the same time and it was like around seven thirty eight o'clock you know I think somewhere in there yeah so mm. but I might actually take a drive out there uh, tonight and just see if there's a, a little tribute or something because I think it'd be kind of a cool thing to post you know so I'll yeah, look for that Detroit mourns man the world mourns uh, yep he was he uh, he was a tour de force and, yeah. Uh, I, I I can't emphasize this enough. If, if if you haven't already, or you're thinking of trying to, you know, pay respect to to Wayne in any way, I couldn't think of a better way to do it than to donate to his jail guitar doors USA organization. Um, when he got out of prison, uh, I don't remember if it was when he talked to us or it was in his book, but he talked about being really really angry. He was mad at life. He was mad at mm. a lot of things. And um, he needed a voice for that anger. <clears throat> and I yeah. think that's what we saw because the Wayne that we saw uh, when we later in life, just the way he was, his demeanor, everything was he was very self-actualized. I mean that mm. in the sense that he found out what his purpose was in life and, yeah. and in his mind why he was here. And I, I really think that organization was something that that he um, <clears throat> really wanted people to understand the importance of it. Uh, here's a bite from him. He said, allowed, allowed me to um, give a voice that is built up from the time I was released as I watched more and more people like me go to prison and for more severe sentences than I got. I kept wondering how come nobody is saying anything about this? How come they keep building more prisons um mm. how comes uh they keep blocking more people up and nobody's angry about it um that's wayne <laughs> you know that's how he is he's, he's always passionate about uh the other man the other yeah, people social justice issues and yeah and that comes yeah. back to his beginnings you know and um i mean they they covered an obscure jazz artist sun Ra. On the first album, Starship, very last song on the album, and um, they didn't cover it, but I'm, they did their interpretation of it. And mm. um, yeah, he they were always trying to um, bring attention to that other other man, that person that couldn't fight for themselves, that person couldn't didn't have the recognition that they had or whatever. And um, they that's just. That's what uh, true independent spirit is really all about. Yeah. You know, it's not about just making your own music and then locking your doors and going to sleep every night. It's about extending that hand. And that's the, I mean, the testimony for him online, if that doesn't speak volumes, then, yeah. you know, and lived experience. I mean, you know, that's where it all comes from, you know? You know? I, I, I kind of touched on that. I would like, someday be in that realm you know in that ballpark of maybe i helped or touched somebody you know other than just uh taking and not giving you know yeah yeah being a giver not a taker and that that was kind of his style and uh yeah mike skill just called him up came right over you know yeah yeah which is so cool Played on the on the record, and uh, who was the producer with that that song? Because you really uh, should check Chuck, it out. It's, I think it was Chuck Alcazian. I want to say big, big yeah. Detroit guy, awesome guy, very cool. Dude. Eminem, right? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he uh, Tantric. I know a lot of bands. I mean, he's uh, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of cool bands. Yeah, yeah, man. But not to keep Ben in your ear, you know, we want you to hear the interview. Uh, this yeah. is something we're proud of. We hope you enjoy it. You yeah. Know, carry on, Dave. You take it. No, I yeah. I mean, it's just something that you know, and and that screenshot when we all are just kind of like fired up you know fist in the air rock rock and roll fist in the air fired up you know and and just just you know the way you you screenshot shouted that with brother way just it's one of those pictures to put on the wall because it's just like one of those final moments you know we never knew we were hoping we talked to him again i mean god i would have loved to talk about this record and i feel privileged that we got to hear a couple tracks you know kind of ahead of time you know and and i mean i i tell you and maybe that had something to do with the delay. I, I don't know, you know, but um, I'm sure it record, did. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, just, it, you know what? I mean, the music's going to live on. The new stuff's going to be killer, you know, when it comes out this spring. I don't have, there's not a date on it yet, but when it does, and, 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 uh, and, and also from Kick Out the Jams, High Times, all that classic stuff. So, uh, but we go deep into the stories here and and he talks a lot about from his view, his his political perspectives, how, you know, things were in the 60s and where we are now, uh, what he's what he saw now. Uh, so this is from 2022 and a lot of a lot of interesting stuff in here, a lot of passion in here. And and but man, his talk about Detroit rock and that scene just gave me chills, you know, yeah. Um, and I love when you brought it up, too, because it was like, you know, we were two guys in Philly at the time talking about Detroit. I'm here now in Detroit, but it was like, man, you know, I, now that I'm here, I feel it. But back then I knew of it and it was like to be immersed in it now is just a whole different thing, you know? So, but yeah. What, what do you say we get into this, this wonderful chat with uh, long live brother Wayne. Yeah. Roll that tape, baby. This is cool. Brother Wayne Kramer on the show. Hey. This, you know, I'm a Detroit boy myself. So this is like, I've waited a lifetime for this moment. It's so cool. <laughs> the new album, the first MC5 album in 50 years, heavy lifting, produced by Bob Ezra. New tour starting in May, going to uh, Detroit's Elk Club. May 5th is when it all kicks off. Uh, Brother Wayne, I got to ask you, you know, you started, you lit that Detroit fire back in the 60s, and it still burns on the tracks that we've heard. And how do you keep that fire burning? How did you keep that fire burning after all these years? It wasn't that hard, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I have I have a sense of beauty and what I what I strive to create, um, and it's an aesthetic that uh, has held pretty consistent over the years. Uh, I've always it's been important to me to push music forward, to try to um, inject as much reality into it as I can. Um, you know, I, I, I love uh, crunchy slamming guitars and big beats, and I love, you know, free jazz, and I like music that, that's experimental and goes out, and I, I love great singing and great dancing and, you know, that stuff has held me uh, well, served me well over the years. And, uh, you know, I've spent my youth learning how to do that. And music is one of the things that's not actually tied to youth. It's something you can continue to do and, 
and continue to develop your ideas and be more stretched out and, and more passionate, more committed as time goes. It's not like sports, for example, which are, are tied to be in, you know, 20-ish, 30-ish at the most. Music, the arts, you can, you can, you can go right to the, to the end. I mean, you know, my goal is to go out like Johnny Guitar Watson. You know, you walk out and say, "Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Johnny Guitar Watson. I'm here to play for you tonight." Ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Uh, how? How's it been? And I, I, I got to see your, your MC50 tour when it when it came through and uh, you were with Kim from Soundgarden uh, Mr. Gold from Faith No More a bunch of people how rewarding is it to you that all you got to do is make a phone call and and these guys are going to be with you they're going to they got your back well it's not actually that easy. It's not now, but somebody, somebody on your reason. I'll, I'll tell yeah. you why. I'll, I'll answer your question. But, you know, everybody needs to be busy. You know, yeah. we all got to put food on the table. And uh, so, you know, it's a matter of like, you know, are you available? Not only do you want to do this, do you think this will be fun? But are you available? You know, everybody's yeah. making their new album. Everybody's got their own tour. Now everybody has kids, you know, school events and um but your your main the main thrust of your question that it it, it is gratifying to know that the all the guys I've worked with, the men and women I've played with over the years, you know, they all discovered the work of the MC5 at some point in their own journey. And when they heard that music, they said, I want some of that. I want to do that. Yeah. And and that influenced everybody. I mean, it's, it's the underlying reason of how we ended up today saying we are all MC5. That, yeah. you know, this is a community uh, of people with like values and, and a like morality and like uh, musical uh, sensibilities yeah so yeah it's nice to know that you know people recognized your stuff and they heard it and it meant something to them it was important to them this doesn't strike me as just i mean any new album is great but it's the first one in what 51 years first mc5 album but also i mean this is you know to your point you, you talk about that that shared those shared values what does it mean to you personally to be able to carry this torch after all these years and still do it and bring in a whole new generation of fans. Well, for me, it just seems as it should be. Uh, you know, we're at a dangerous time right now. I think that, uh, I mean, one of the, I think it's necessary to ignite that spirit that I had when I was 20, um, that I shared with all young people of my generation, that the way they were running the world was wrong, <laughs> seriously, dangerously wrong, and we had some better ideas. Well, I think we're at that point even more profoundly today. If we don't, um, 
step up. If we don't get serious about um, our community, our nation, our freedoms, our rights, um, they could all go away. You know, the people that, that um, oppose us, um, they're not joking. They're serious. You know, if the Donald Trumps, uh, the, the Putins, the um, Ormonds of the world, uh, if these guys are allowed to continue and flourish, democracy as we know it will go away. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not uh, blessed by some magical power to be allowed to do this. This re democracy requires participation. You know, freedom isn't free. <laughs> right. Right. It, since you lived it, uh, you see a lot of similarities between 1967, 1968, and, and 2020, 2021, 2022. Are you seeing a parallel there? Like, is history kind of... You know, a little bit, but... We're, this is a whole different paradigm that we're we're facing today. I mean, back then we had policy issues that we could address: the war, civil rights, the environmental movement, um, gay people's rights, um, working women's rights. Uh, they were they were clear-cut policy issues. Education. Uh, Today, it, there's, there's, it's a different problem. We're not talking about policy anymore. We're talking about um, uh, an ideology of uh, authoritarianism, of fascism yeah. that's coming to America. You know, the great Huey P. Long, governor of Louisiana said, when fascism comes to America, it'll come wrapped up in an American flag. That's what we're seeing. This is what's happening. And, and it's not just, um, you know, the left and the right, because those 70 million Trump voters, you know, they're angry. And they're angry because they're not doing as well as their parents did or their grandparents did. And they, they need some solutions. They need some answers, and they're not getting it. I mean, in that sense, we're all, we all MC5. We're all in this deal. You know, we're all together in this. When I think back, yes, to, when I think back to the, uh, you know, growing up in, in and around Detroit, you know, hearing about, the, of course, the Detroit riots, you know, I had family who lived through it. And, um, of course, the time of Vietnam and racial tension, so much going on for music, uh, for you guys to be able to express yourself uh, musically, you know, in protest. And then you see what guys like Tom Morello, what he's doing and others. I mean, you, you set, do you feel the sense that you, you guys set a bar, but also set a process in place to be able to demonstrate through music, which brings people together, but just, you know, really, it, it's just a cacophony of expression right there. Yeah, I, th I think it's the artist's responsibility to to raise the bar um, on on the art, um, to inspire each other. Um, that's the role that art.
plays, you know, we tell these stories in the songs or in the paintings or in the plays or the scripts. We tell these stories about who we are. And then when we experience the story, it confirms our humanity. It confirms that, you know, I'm not the only wacko out here. <laughs> that there's plenty of other people that are just as concerned or just as angry or just as scared as I am. I mean, you know, it tells us that, you know, we're not alone. Yeah. Do you, do you think the, the music community is, is too quiet right now? I mean, uh, since MC5, we've had, you know, Minor Threat in the 80s. We've had Rage Against the Machine. We've had Public Enemy. Uh, do, you, do you feel like we need to have more bands like that out there doing? I, I know a lot of bands avoid it completely for, you know, financial reasons, but. How does that work? <laughs> you know, if you no. avoid politics, do you get paid? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I remember oh, that's I where I went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like you two started out that way, and obviously they they didn't stay that way. I mean that that's kind of what I was getting at. Well, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not critical of uh, any of right. my fellows that that uh, don't care to to step up and don't care to. Uh, to pick a side, which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on? Um, but, uh, you know, my path is clear. I know what I have to do. And I know plenty of other people that are walking this walk with me. Um, you know, of, of course, Tom and Rage and, you know, Rise Against. I mean, there's dozens and dozens of bands that are taking a stand and doing what they can to yeah. to move us forward, to hold on to this, democ this elusive democracy that is quickly slipping away from us. And it's not going to happen in one big event. It's a little chip yeah. here and a little chip there. It's, these are these are very dangerous times. Did you ever think you'd see? Um, I mean, going back to that time uh, when so much was happening, and it felt like you know you read the history books, it felt like America was on the brink then. But then yeah. you feel you know so many people feel that now in so many different ways. Was there ever a part of you growing up that thought, oh, my God, we could, you know, there could be a feeling like this again? To be honest, coming out of the 60s into the 70s, I, I kind of looked, I thought, well, if we make it another 20 years and get past this, the point we were at that everyone was most concerned about was nuclear holocaust even by accident or by aggression. Um, but if we could get past that, then we'd go on to a beautiful creative existence on this planet. Right. Well, we're 50 years past that. And that's the last thing we have going on. This is worse than it was then. Um, you know, then our big concerns were, you know, the, the police, the FBI, 
the uh, the government's trampling on um, our the Constitution, and today um, they've co-opted the Constitution. They, they you know. Today we're we're really in danger of losing everything. I mean, this is this is serious, um, you know. To, uh, it's it's like uh, we're in a war, but only one side is fighting, and it's them. <laughs> you know, right. The right are the ones that are fighting, and and the Democrats and everybody on the left is kind of, uh, you know, kumbaya. Right. One of your uh, quotes that I, I read recently from, from you, you said, I had misgivings about the older generation and the establishment before the rebellion of 67, but that just pushed me into mil militancy in terms of my frustration and my anger with the way adults were running the country. I mean, uh, looking at it now, as you said, you just feel like we're we have a we have a big hole to get out of here, don't we? Yes, enormous. And and uh, and we we have to um, we have to pull out all the stops. We need to to use everything that we can we can think of to um, oppose this march to fascism. I mean. I mean, even the idea that we would elect um, that buffoon, you know, and that 70 million people voted for him is something to think about. I mean, there's a bigger problem than just him. I mean, he happened to show up at the right time at the right place. But this, this um, disconnection across the country was already underway and and i think the solution is connection you know to to find that we all want the same things that we all you know we want to uh feel safe in our community we want to feel like our voice is being heard we want to feel like uh you know we're not being ripped off for health insurance or medical care you know, that, that quality food is available, quality, quality education. I mean, these are the unsexy building blocks of civilization building. And uh, if we don't pay attention to them and fight for them, I mean, it's time to fight, uh, then they're going to go away. Speaking of fight and, and activism, I know in, in a bit of a different sense, there's been a fight amongst fans for years to get the MC5 in the rock and roll Hall of Fame, you know, congratulations on the uh, on the nomination. And I just I wonder, does it mean what does it mean to you? Some artists say, you know, it's it's uh, some artists say it's a farce. It doesn't mean so much to them. I wonder what it means to you, uh, you know, uh, as a as a nominee. Well, I had all those feelings. I mean, <laughs> I think this is like the fifth time they've they've uh, nominated the MC5. Um, so I've, I've run the gamut on you know, all the cynicism. And today, you know, I think it would be nice. I think it would be, you know, a great recognition of, of the work that went in uh, the early years of the band and, and uh, the, the fans' um, belief 
in what we represented. Um, and, uh, you know, I would, I would look at it as a, as a positive step. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be in the game, you know, <laughs> we are too. Definitely. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Wayne, what was the, that, that Detroit scene like, I just switching topics here. Like it, it was such an amazing city. Um, it's something I'm fascinated with. Uh, Dave's taught me a lot about it. What was that city like when you guys were coming up, you know, and, and, uh, and Rob and, and, and Fred were in, in other bands, the bounty hunters, the Vibertones. I mean, what was that whole scene like? It was a ball. It, it was really the sense of unlimited possibilities that we all shared that you could do anything. You know, if you wanted something built, we could build it in Detroit. Detroit was the manufacturing center of the world. We built great cars and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, the, the auto industry was, was uh, firing on all cylinders, if you excuse the metaphor. <laughs> the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so appropriate. But, you know, everybody had work. And work is the glue that holds communities together. Everyone had jobs. They were those, you know, good union jobs. Uh, you could support a family on, on a worker's income. Uh, you could buy a home. You could go on vacation. You could have a car or two cars. Uh, you could pay for your kids' clothes and health care. Um, so everyone, everyone felt pretty good. Generally speaking, you know, the, the black community did not share in the, the um, affluence, did not share in the benefits of the successful automobile industry. Black workers were discriminated against on the shop floor um, just violently. They were last hired first fired, they got the worst jobs in the plant, the most dangerous jobs. And, and the black community did not share in the political uh, ascendancy of Detroit. They didn't share in the social um, ascendancy of, uh, of, of the wealthy white families. Um, and, you know, it was inevitable that Detroit exploded in 1967. I mean, you know, you can keep your boot on somebody's neck for only so long. Yeah. And at some point, their humanity will demand that you respect them. They will, it will demand that you back off and make a space for me. Um, so, so, you know, in general, the, there was a lot going on, you know, everyone got along pretty well. And, and uh, I never, I never felt fear as a kid riding my bike through the Mexican neighborhood or, or a black neighborhood. I just, you know, we were just, it was like Converse all-star America, you know? <laughs> baseball and pizza and, mm -hmm. and uh, the boys club of Detroit and all that. Uh, things only got uh, out of, out of hand um, later on as, as, uh, of course, the auto industry went down the drain yeah. and uh, took the jobs and the money and just 
left <laughs> as good capitalists, you know, and and yeah. now you've got a city left with full of workers and no work, and despair and and depression enters the picture. Heroin enters the picture. Uh, the city was flooded with firearms. Murder rates skyrocket to 800 murders a year in the city of Detroit. Uh, it was it would it really got bad. But in the in the early days of the you know 65, 66 up through 70, it was pretty exciting. It was fun. Talk about um, you know the Grandy Ballroom. Uh, kick out the jams, of course, you know, you guys sharing the stage with cream. And I always thought about just, you know, and others, you know, that's one of those great, sadly, no longer around anymore venues um, that really supported that scene. And I, I mean, do you think back to those days often? Cause for us coming up, it's like, you know, those, th those were cornerstones of American rock and roll, you know, and you must've felt that even more so playing on stages like that. Oh, it was the best. It was the best, and we and we did it all without having like hit records or anything. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. just on the strength of the the performance and and uh, the audience's uh, enthusiasm. I mean, you know, we we trained them as best we could how to respond. That if an artist got up there and and sweated and worked hard then you should show them that you appreciate them. And, and uh, you know, Detroit became famous for having the best audiences in the world for touring bands. You know, they all want to play Detroit because if you got down, the people got down with you. Yeah. And people in Detroit worked hard and they played hard and they still yeah. do. It's, <laughs> yeah. still, it's still a great audience. That's a tradition that has built up over the, over the decades and... Uh, it's unique too. I, you know, uh, I, I thought every place was like Detroit until I started to go on tour in the MC5 in the early days and started to realize that wow, this shit out here is kind of stiff, man. What? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, one of my favorite songs from you guys. Um, never really got a studio recording. Uh, the I guess famous, infamous. I don't know. Uh, Black to calm. Um, was there ever a point where you guys were like, let's go in the studio and do this? Or was it kind of like the, how Danny felt about the, the first record? You just didn't feel like you were going to be able to capture that song in the studio. Is there a studio recording of that song? Well, you know, there's been, uh, we made stabs at it here and there, but it mm -hmm. was really just a form, a format for live performance and it was always different and it was it was almost completely improvised we had a couple movements within the piece that we could go to and everyone would know yeah this is what, what's coming up we're going to play this bit now but otherwise it was our chance to to fly without a net and you know made for some some uh some exhilarating nights and made for some terrific train wrecks <laughs> that was like your that was uh, that was pretty much how you like to clear the room right <laughs> well in the early days yeah we, we used to play these uh you know teen dances 
and we'd go into Black the Comet. The, the kids would love what we're doing because it was all straight ahead rock. And then we'd play our secret weapon at the end and boom, <laughs> clear the room. Yeah. <laughs> who, who came up with the riff for that? Is that you or Fred or you guys? Just Smith. Looked at, yeah. And I'll tell you the story. We had another drummer on the band before Dennis Thompson, and he was an excellent drummer, really just a backbeat, great yeah. sense of time, great feel, could play that Chuck Berry stuff beautifully, knew how to swing, and he hated it. He hated <laughs> the, the, the free jazz influence that we were trying to incorporate into what we were doing, and he would refuse to play it. And he'd sit there and hold his stick to <laughs> And Fred would start the riff. He's getting madder and madder and madder and madder and madder. And the riff would go on and on and on. Everybody's like, what's going on here? Playing that riff and is that what's happening? And then finally he would just surrender to the music and big single stroke roll. It was just, it was fantastic, and it became the intro to the tune. You know? yeah. yeah, is it just magic like that? That I mean, I, obviously, you know, there's a bit of defiance on his part, but for that moment, but like, <laughs> eventually, there's like all these different sounds that kind of went into what MC5 was. You know, like you have to go deep. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it was just, it was one thing, but if you peel back the layers, it's like there's so much that went into it. Well, yeah, and and I'll. I'll tell you, um, I owed, I owe a debt of gratitude to the um, mostly African American jazz musicians of the free jazz movement for their courage and their tenacity and their vision uh, when the free jazz movement emerged and I was exposed to it. And it spoke to me so deeply and so powerfully that it inspired me to, to, to push this idea of the MC5 into something new. Um, and I'll never be able to fully repay that debt. I mean, that's a debt that I just, I'm going to live with all my days, that I owe those guys um, and, and women that played that music and inspired me teenage white rock and roll guitar player to to that level of greatness that level of accomplishment that the, the, just the courage uh, that they needed to to continue to play that music and record it in a man they got criticized so severely I, I've just recently reread some of the stuff that people wrote about John Coltrane and man it's nasty it's foul, mean-spirited, mm. racist Horrible, uh, rhetoric. This just, And these guys endured with dignity, you know, and continued the work. And, and, you know, that's what inspired all those levels that you hear in the MC5's work, because it's coming from another place. Yeah. That's why it sounds like music can bring, even with all that racial strife and everything that happened, and it's still happening, music is one of those things that has the best potential of pulling everybody together. Because when you look deep down, there's like, there's, it's all interconnected. I mean, and, you know, obviously, you know, going back to the roots of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're, there's only one people. 
right. on the world. Right. <laughs> There's one people. We come in a variety of colors, shapes, sizes, but we're one people. And, and uh, you know, the, the, and our salvation is in each other, in the connections we can make with each other, yeah. which, which the music demonstrates for us, it illustrates for us. I mean, in my work in the prisons, when I take a group of musicians on the yard and they see white musicians playing with Latin musicians, playing with African-American musicians, and there's women on the band, they see, oh, look, they all, they all get along pretty well. They're grooving together. It spreads to the yard. The yard starts to, to groove, you know. In our workshops, our Jail Guitar Doors workshops in prisons, you know, we have some rules, and the rules are that prison politics stay out on the yard. That in here, we're all artists. We're all songwriters in here. And we can talk about anybody and anything, and we do, but we have to talk to each other with dignity and respect. And, and it's, yeah. you're right, that, that idea that we're all connected as illustrated through art, um, that's one of the ways that we can, we can survive. Awesome. Yeah, I would like, like to thank you for uh, getting me in the Pharaoh Sanders. So I, I owe you for that. I don't, I don't know if you've heard his new record mm. with, with floating points, but it's, it's unbelievable. I'll give it a listen today. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is probably it's a minimalist recording where where and uh, it'll make your hair stand up. He's actually hold, he's holding back quite a bit, but Man. it's like come on, it's, it it's probably it's probably the album of of uh, the decade in some respects. So fantastic! Wow, happy to yeah. hear that. Yeah, brother Wayne, man, we are blessed to have you with us. Thank you uh, for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for your tremendous contributions to music. And, and for firing up Detroit and making that landmark the way you have, man. We're, we're truly blessed. You're so welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to, to blab. I appreciate it. Yeah. This is Wayne Kramer. I'm here with Dave and Shane talking to rock. Thank you all.